So I, you can probably tell I'm envious of anyone who has hair, but uh, you know, Matt, Matt kind of has like a Canadian beard, you know, I mean, if you, you just look at Matt, you go, that looks like, like a lager beard there, but you got to say Pastor Stephen, he's like, he's like the James Harden of Iowa pastors, if you know what I'm talking about. He's got like the fear of the beard, you know what I'm talking about? So uh, I, have, I have really enjoyed being here. I've enjoyed uh, getting to hang out with so many great people. It's really a privilege to be a part of this family camp. This is our first one, and uh, we're just really, really enjoying it. If you're here tonight, I want to I want to speak on parenting 101. Uh, it's something that may not apply to everyone. I, I hope that if you have children, you would say uh, it probably is going to apply to me. And uh, if you are going to get married someday, I think these are going to be great things. And then teens, I think it'll be a good reminder of your responsibility. If you're here in Ephesians 6, beginning in verse 1, children, obey your parents and the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise, that it may be well with you and you may live long on the earth. And you fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord. Let's open a word of prayer tonight. Heavenly Father, I thank you for the opportunity to open your word. And God, I pray for uh, the teens in the room, Lord, I pray that they would be reminded of how they're to respond to their parents. Uh, for parents tonight, I pray it'd be a good reminder of what you've called us to do and be as parents. And God, so much of what we find in Scripture seems so counterculture. Uh, and yet, as Christians, we believe your word is true. And God, I pray that our culture would never trump your word. And God, as we see it in your word tonight, I, I pray that we would desire to apply it. And God, I just pray that you'd help us in the brief time that we have, children at home, uh, to do it to the best of our ability. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. There's so much to talk about in parenting. Uh, I will say this, and my wife would say this often, if, when you have small children, uh, the days are long, but the years are fast. Um, every year in the fall, parents drop their freshmen off at college. And I can't tell you how many times as parents do that, parents say, I can't believe 18 years has gone by like that. Now, if you have a newborn, you're probably just begging God for sleep. I remember those days. I was just like, God, please let me live. <laughs> and then as they kind of grow up, and then all of a sudden you blink your eyes and you're dropping them off at college. And you won't understand this till you do that, but it, it'll rip your heart out if you have a great family and you love your kids. And uh, we dropped all three of our kids off. Well, my youngest, actually, we moved to faith at that time, but our first two were up in Canada. That's a long drive home without that child. And uh, it's rough when your wife cries all the way home and you don't know what to say and you walk in and you see that empty bed and you cry again and you go set the table that night and by habit, you set the table for that child. And uh, I do a lot of things with the parents as uh, we do a, an orientation session to help them. No one really helped us, and I was terrible. I, I didn't say anything. You know, here we're both hurting, and I didn't know how to help. Um, someone told me later, when you walk by and see that empty bed, just go and pray for them. And I found that to be helpful. But I think you would agree, and maybe not if you only have really small children, but you really have a, 18 years is really a short period of time. And if you know anything about uh, a relay race, there's a baton, it's about that long, and a runner only has when he crosses the line to the next line to get the baton in his hand. If he crosses the far line and he does not have the baton in his hand, his team is disqualified. You only have that short space to grab the baton. And really, all three of our children are out of the house. We now have grandchildren. And I would just say from personal experience, it went by like that. And you really don't have a lot of time. And so in that short amount of time, and you know what's really terrible about parenting? You don't get a do-over. You don't get to see them go off into 18 and then go, I wish I had done so many of those things different. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but how many of you have studied your parenting because you have studied what the Bible says about parenting, and that's been your playbook? Most parents do what they grew up with, or maybe what they heard because we're all busy. And so it really is 101. It's going to seem pretty basic tonight, but I hope you have your Bible. I was also a youth pastor for years. Uh, I work with young people now. 
I'm going to share a lot of things, especially when we get to the passage of fathers, don't provoke your children to wrath. But I hope that these are good reminders. But I also hope you walk away saying, that wasn't his opinion. This really is what we're supposed to do as parents. As we get started coming back to chapter 6, verse 1, despite what the world may say, children are to obey and honor their parents. They're not to be liberated from their parents. They're not to be enabled to choose whatever they want to do, whenever they want to do it, and the way they want to do it. In the Bible, parents have every truth and every guideline necessary for raising their children in righteousness and godliness. And we see three truths about obedience for children. Point number one here is obedience is right in verse one. Children, obey your parents in the Lord for this is right. Obey has to do with action and honor has to do with attitude. The Greek word for obey literally means here to hear under. It's to listen with attentiveness and to respond positively to what is heard. Have you ever had this? You, you told your child to do something, they didn't do it, and then when you say, why didn't you do it? They said, I didn't hear you. Has that only happened in the Tillotson household? <laughs> and so my wife came up with the phrase, well, perk up your ears. Because if you're gonna train your children to obey, by the way, you can do this. You know, wasn't that great, especially, I don't know who's, parents are in the room with those kids tonight, but you should be a proud parent tonight. And my wife comes from a very musical family. My wife can play many different instruments. And uh, whenever I see someone play, I go, man, what a gift. And my wife always reminds me, that's not a gift, that's a lot of hard work. No one just woke up one day and can play the guitar. No one can't just wake up and play the piano. If you play the guitar, play the piano, you put in a lot of time and effort to do that. And some people see well-behaved kids and they act like, well, those kids must have a different personality than my kids because I have the Tasmanian devil at my house. And what you come to understand is, no, it's not about personality, it's about training, it's about putting in the effort. Again, I've already mentioned, I travel a lot, we stay in a lot of people's homes and we've seen, we've seen some amazing homes where it, it just blows our mind. We just watch how the parents, the, the kids obey they, they just say one time, put your stuff away. They just get up and put their stuff away. I can think of one family, we brought toys. They're alumni of faith, so we bought gifts for their kids. And we showed up, and then the kids are all excited, and they got their toys, and she let them play for half an hour, and she said, okay, kids, it's time to go to bed. Put the toys away. And all of them are just like, okay. It's <laughs> like, wow, that's amazing. But isn't that Biblical. It is what the Bible says. It says, children, obey your parents and the Lord, for this is right. That's how children should react. Children are to put themselves under the words and authority of their parents. In the Lord, in this text, children, obey your parents in the Lord. Shows that parents are to be obeyed because to do so is to obey the Lord. Parents are God's stewards, his proxy authority for their children. They are loaned to you and trust by God. I'll just say this. I don't know if you do this at your church, but our church in Canada, we did baby dedications. And when a baby was born, as soon as the parents fell up to this, we would dedicate them to the Lord. And the parents would come up the platform with me and we'd give them baby's first Bible, give a rose. I'd give a challenge to the parents and I'd always say to the parents, are you committing to raise this child for the Lord? Do you remember your first child? I mean, I, our first child was before cell phones. Remember pagers? Anyone remember pager? And I was working construction, and the hospital gave me a pager. And I knew that if that pager went off, it was, I needed to get home. And we did the false labor thing. You know, we didn't sleep all night. Is this real? Is it not real? Is it real? Are we going? Are we not going? Didn't go. Went to work all through that next day. I mean, I'm checking my pager all the time. And then finally, in the middle of the night, all of our kids are middle of the night kids. I don't know why that happened. But, you know, middle of the night, we're racing to the hospital. And I remember our, our daughter was born. There was a few complications and they immediately took her out. But do you remember that first squeak of that first child? I know about you. What did that do to your heart? I mean, it just overwhelmed me. I was just like, I don't even know how to put that into words. That feeling, that moment when that child came out and that's your child. And I think a lot of parents in this room, this is why we have snowplow parents and helicopter parents, because you love your kids so much, you'd die for them, you'd do anything for them. But too often, if we really believe that, when we need to get in God's word and say, what does God teach me about raising these kids? 
And that child comes into this world and now it's your responsibility. And parents would often come up on the platform and say, we dedicate our child to the Lord. We promise to raise this child for the Lord. And then 18 years later, that child says, Mom, Dad, I want to go to Bible college. And you know what parents today are saying? Are you out of your mind? I don't fight with college students to come to, to Bible college. I fight with parents. Parents are like, I want my grandkids next door. I mean, what kind of a job are you going to get? By the way, there is such a shortage of ministry right now, there's no shortage of jobs. All of our graduates have a job, all of them. Education majors have five or more offers each. But it's amazing what happens in 18 years. When they are first born, you're so overwhelmed with this gift from God, you say, God, this is your child. I'll do everything I can to raise this for the Lord. In fact, I'll say it in front of a whole church. But then what happens over those 18 years? Do you live that out? Was that just words when you had that baby? Or do you really desire tonight to say, no, I, this is a gift from God, and I'm a steward, and I need to do what God tells me to do in raising this child? Keep your finger here in Ephesians, but go over to Colossians. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians chapter 3. It's kind of a parallel passage to what we're reading right here. Verse 18, wives, submit to your own husbands as is fitting in the Lord. By the way, if God says it once, it's true, twice for emphasis. Husbands, love your wives, be not bitter toward them. Children, obey your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing to the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. The basic reason for children to obey is simply that it is right. The Greek word for right refers to that which is correct, just, righteous. That which is exactly as it should be. Take your Bible and keep your finger here, but go to Psalms chapter 19, verse 8. Psalm 19, verse 8. The statutes of the Lord are what? They're right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. Go over to chapter 119, Psalm 119. Look at verse 75. Psalm 119, verse 75. I know, Lord, that your judgments are right, that in faithfulness you have afflicted me. Go over to verse 128, same chapter, 128. Therefore, all your precepts concerning all things I consider to be right. I hate every false way. The modern version, if you come back to Ephesians 6, 1, the modern version of Ephesians 6, 1 would be like this. Parents, obey your children, for this will keep them happy and bring peace to the home. Parents, you must be the authority in your home because of obedience for children is right, no matter what Dr. Spock says. And you're going to read a lot of books in a lot of Christian bookstores that are not biblical. That's why you get your Bible out. You know, it's funny as if you're a Trekkie, the actual Spock, right? Live long and prosper. <laughs> How do you live long and prosper? Obey your parents. Secondly, obedience is a command in verse 2. Children, obey your parents in the Lord for this is right. Secondly, honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise. Not only is it right, but obedience is commanded. The right attitude behind the right act of obedience is honor, which means to value highly, to hold in the highest regard and respect. This is a recitation of the fifth commandment in Exodus 20, 12. Children to honor both their father and mother, to hold them in the highest possible respect. Teenagers, is that how you're reacting to your parents right now? The Bi I didn't put this in the Bible. The Bible says you are to honor your parents. And really, child is going from obey to honor. No matter how old you are tonight, you should still be honoring your parents if they're alive. My dad's still alive. He's 79. You know what? I, I need to honor my dad. Even though I'm out of the home, I still have a responsibility to not make my dad ashamed. My dad shouldn't read that I went to jail. My dad shouldn't read that I cheated on my wife. My dad shouldn't read that I embezzled money. I need to honor. By the way, I don't know about your parents, but I always come to my mom at Mother's Day. Mom, what do you want for Mother's Day? And she'd always say the same thing. Good kids. <laughs> well, mom, what's your second option? <laughs> That's not going to happen. Until you become a parent, you finally understand that, right? You understand no greater joy do I have than hearing my children walk in truth. 
And teenagers, there's going to be a lot of temptation. You're going to feel like I, you don't understand. Oh, by the way, if you still live at home, mom and dad are paying the bills, you need to obey your parents. The Bible's pretty clear on that. And I would just challenge you, time will always prove God was right. If you just let enough time go by, time will prove God was right. And when you don't understand why your parents are so crazy to have a curfew that's an hour earlier than all your friends, when you don't understand why your parents are putting blocks on your cell phone, or maybe even not letting you have a cell phone, when you're getting irritated and saying, you need to come back to the Bible if you're a Christian teenager in the room and just say, the Bible says I need to honor my father and my mother. And you can go against that. I was a youth pastor. I could tell you a story after story of teenagers that didn't listen. I tell you a story of a teenage girl who snuck out of the house at night and was running through an elevator that was off limits. It had been completely fenced off, but she snuck out at night and her and a bunch of her friends decided to play hide-and-go-seek in the elevator. She was on the third floor running in the dark and there was no floor. She fell and broke her back. She got to the hospital and the hospital called the parents and said, your daughter is here. And they said, that's impossible. Our daughter's in her bed sleeping. They said, uh, no, she's here in her hospital right now and she's in bad shape. And as they groggily woke up and they raced downstairs and looked in the bedroom, sure enough, empty bed. Went to the hospital and that girl is in a wheelchair the rest of her life. Teenagers, you can say, oh, that's just a crazy, that's a true story, number one. And maybe you won't get crippled, but I promise you, teenagers, you'll regret it someday. I was a youth pastor in Chicago. I had the youth group from Hades. Uh, if you get into a white-collar area of Chicago, high money, I mean, teenagers just expected to get their own car. And teenagers' education is always expensive. And if you learn the hard way, and I tell you as a youth pastor, I hate teenagers who tell me I have to learn the hard way. No, you don't. But if you learn the hard way, it's going to be painful and it's going to be expensive. Those of you that heard me preach on Jonah, did Jonah get where God told him to go? Remember the story of Jonah? God said, Jonah, go to Nineveh. Jonah says, there's no way I'm running from the presence of the Lord. And a big storm comes up and somehow he tells everyone, I'm running from the presence of the Lord. And they say, well, Jonah, what do we need for you to live? And if you have two brain cells that connect, most people would say, we need to go to Nineveh. You remember what Jonah said? <laughs> the only option is chuck me overboard. You know what Jonah was saying? I would rather die than obey God. There's no way I'm going to Nineveh. And so they chuck him overboard, and the Bible says immediately the storm stops. In chapter 2, the Bible says the weeds wrapped about him. We all understand seaweed's at the bottom, Right? He's deep. Seaweed wraps about him. He's about to give his last breath and he cries out to God. God, please save me. And in the end of chapter one, it says he prepared a great fish just in case Jonah chooses to repent. And the fish swallows him. In three days in that fish, he has a great change of heart. Oh God, can I go to Nineveh? I'm your guy. No one wants to go to Nineveh more than I do. Could I please go to Nineveh? And that fish goes over and pukes him out on shore. And I tell teenagers, did he get where God wanted him to be? But how many of you think he wished he'd taken the boat instead of went by barf, right? <laughs> and, and I work with teenagers, and a lot of teenagers go by barf. And only when it's that gross and that yucky. I can remember another teenager, same youth group. Got a call from his mom. The police have picked up my son. Can you go get him? I mean, the crazy part is because I love these teenagers and I had a great relationship with them. They, were, they loved me, but they were crazy and not right with God. And he told me years later, he said, Pastor Jim, he said, I heard that come over the radio that they said, there's a Pastor Jim coming to pick you up. And he said, I honestly told the policeman, can you just take me to jail? <laughs> I don't want to see Pastor Jim. <laughs> Teenagers, the Bible's very clear. This is the first commandment with promise. Honor your father and mother. This is the key principle behind all right human relationships in society. A person who grows up with a sense of respect for and obedience to his parents will have the foundation for respecting all authority, all the leaders that God puts in his life. Respect for parents is of such grave importance to God that Moses commanded in Exodus 21, 15, and 17 that to physically or verbally abuse a parent was a capital offense in ancient Israel. That's pretty, that's pretty crazy, isn't it? 
Think that would change our culture a bit today? I mean, this is how serious God takes disrespecting a parent. In the Old Testament, now we're under grace, we're not under the Old Testament, but under the law, if you verbally or physically abused a parent, you were to be executed. I don't think there's a lot of teenagers sassing back back then, do you? Not when there was those kinds of consequences. Children who are constantly told they can do whatever they wish and can have their own way are children who will soon mock their parents, teachers, moral standards, the law, and society in general. All human relationships obviously grow out of those of children with parents. Children who respect and obey their parents will build a society that is ordered, harmonious, and productive. A generation of undisciplined, disobedient children will produce a society that is chaotic and destructive. Does it feel like we're watching that right now? And when you have so much culture pressure to not do it God's way, you're going to have to have a little guts, if I can use that term. You're going to have to have some courage to say, I don't care what the culture says, this isn't okay. Now, I believe in our culture, you're going to have to be wise. I think the Bible's clear on discipline. And I think the Bible's clear that with young children, spanking is appropriate, not abuse. God's very clear all through Scripture, abuse is sin. But it should, it should sting enough to get their attention. Let me help you with discipline. Discipline is not discipline unless it changes behavior. You have not disciplined your child if they don't change. By the way, when God spanks you, does it get your attention? Am I the only one in the room that has been spanked by God? Man, it, it gets my attention. It makes me say, I, I don't want to do that again. But as your children age, when, when if you have a, a teenage daughter, once she starts having her cycle, I believe you should stop spanking. You should do something different. I think you need to look and say, hey, there's other ways that I need to discipline. But you, discipline is not discipline unless it changes behavior. So if you start working with teenagers, say, how do I discipline them? Well, what are they really, do you take away a video game? You take, you take away something that will get them to say, that wasn't worth it. I, I've got to turn things around. Have you ever met parents that, that sound like they're auctioneers? Come here, 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 come here. You're like, that is nuts. You ever seen parents that get so mad until the vein on their neck is as big as their leg? And that's when the kid obeys? You see, parents, we're all training them. We're all training our kids, but there are parents who train them to just obey the first time. And if you've trained your kids, they don't have to listen to you till you're blowing a gasket and your face is beat red. You've trained them as well. But you're not teaching them to honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise. To honor our parents means much more than simply to obey them. It means to show them respect and love, to care for them as long as they need us, and to seek to bring honor to them by the way we live. Children have to be trained to obey and honor their parents by their parents. The book of Proverbs is full of truths to guide parents in the training of their children and to guide children in obeying their parents. The world today has much to say about children as well, children's so-called rights. But the emphasis should be on their responsibilities. Emphasis on rights, whether by children or adults, weakens and destroys relationships on every level. Not only is obedience right, number two, it's commanded, but number three, it brings blessing, verse three. That it may be well with you and you may live long on the earth. Two blessings are given for honoring and obeying your parents. This doesn't mean that everyone who died young dishonored their parents. I think we understand this is a principle. But God's stating this principle that when children obey their parents, they will escape a good deal of sin and danger and thus avoid the things that would threaten or shorten their lives. God enriches the life of the obedient child no matter how long she or he may live on the earth. Sin always robs us. Obedience always enriches us. Disobedience to parents is rebellion against God. The sad situation in homes today is the result of rejecting God's word. And parents, you need to teach your children to obey because God told you to do that. I hope you had a Bible tonight. This isn't Jim's idea. This isn't the camp's idea. God tells you as a parent, teach your children to obey. And that's going to be hard. Have there been days I came home from work and I saw my kid disobey and I just looked the other way because I just want to pretend I did not see that? Yes. 
If you try and pick up a guitar once every three months, I think I could ask Matt that. Are you going to be a good guitar player? Probably not. If you're only going to discipline every three months, that's not going to work so well for you. You've got to be consistent. But you can teach your children to obey the first time. I told you my parents got saved when I was five years old, and they bought into spanking like 110%. <laughs> Have you ever had someone say, if you spank your children, you ruin their creativity? I've heard that. I, I, I'm a living example. That is not true. <laughs> I'm super creative. My dad did not repeat himself. I remember times that I'd mess up at church and my dad said, when you get home, you're getting a spanking. I would pray for him to have amnesia all the way home. <laughs> he always remembered. And I can stand here and say, I absolutely love my dad. I love him. That didn't affect my love for my dad. Because he was also good at this next part. Fathers, don't provoke your children to wrath. Just for sake of time, let me just give you some ways that we can do this. You, you provoke your children to wrath when you treat sin and stupid at the same level. When they spill their milk at supper, is that frustrating? When they run to get you a pop, but they're only walking when they hand it to you. <laughs> By the way, just think that one through for a second. You don't know that that can's been shook up and you pop it and it just explodes in your face. Is that hard to just sing, bless God from whom all blessings flow? <laughs> and you know what, kids? Foolishness is bound in the heart of a child, but how you deal with sin and stupid needs to be two different things. You would want to address sin very differently than how you address stupid. Dan Butney's here tonight. When I first came to faith, he was my CFO. And my first year, I moved down to have a black Ford crew cab, F-150. My truck got hit twice in two months. It's like, does no one at Faith know how to drive? Like, what is going on? And six months in, I was at church on a Sunday, and Dan called me, and he said, uh, Jim, we had a problem on campus. I said, really, what happened? He said, well, our security vehicle is totaled. He said, I don't know the details myself. I'm, going, I'm on my way to the campus right now. If you need to come over, I'll call you. Otherwise, I'll see you on Monday. Dan was always the first guy in at work. Usually, I was second or third. And this, so on Monday, I came in. He didn't call me, so I came in, and he saw me come in. He says, you need to come to my office. And I walked in his office. He said, I, I don't even know how to explain this to you. I just think you should read the report. And he handed me the report. And this is what I read from the security college-age guy. I was driving across the campus and I saw a turtle. By the way, our security vehicle was a Dodge Durango. I was driving across the campus and I saw a turtle and we have a pond on our campus and he said, I decided that I needed to rescue the turtle. So he said, I, I got out of the truck and I, I got the turtle and I put him up on the console and I started driving toward the pond. And he said, I took the first turn and the turtle went into my lap. And he said in his report, and I, it dawned on me, is this a snapping turtle? <laughs> and he said, I panicked. And instead of hitting the brake, he hit the gas and plowed into two parked cars, one of which had people in it. And this is what he finished at the end. But I was okay. <laughs> And I was, I was holding it together till I read that last line. You just totaled a $30,000 truck, two other vehicles, and I'm supposed to be happy because you're okay. <laughs> but is that sin or is that stupid? That's stupid, right? I actually sent Dan a, a, a link to get turtle traps because I said we can't afford to have these turtles running loose on our campus. But, but are you with me tonight? Don't raise your hand, but how many of you have lost it on your kids over stupid? Dropped food at a restaurant, spilled milk on the table, and you lost it. And that, that wasn't sin. It was stupid. 
I believe you're causing, your, you're provoking your children to wrath. Name calling, constantly finding fault with your children, unrealistic expectations. Do as I say, not as I do. Think of another teen in that youth group. I walked out of church one night and I looked in the back of the parking lot and I saw him pan a pack of cigarettes off to another teenager. And so I confronted him and this teen was doing everything wrong. I mean, he was having sex. He was just totally out of his mind. And I brought the dad in and I brought him in my office and I just assumed he knew all this stuff. My point of talking to dad was, how are we going to help turn this kid around? The dad acted shocked, like how did, he didn't know any of this. And I'm like, are you that clueless? You don't have a clue what's going on with your son. And I know, by the way, this is a mom and dad who have attended our church the whole time I was a youth pastor. They were there at the church before I showed up. I don't know why I asked this. But I said, you don't smoke, do you? I had no reason to suspect that he did. And he looked down at the floor and he said, Yes, I do, but I tell my son not to. Parents, you're provoking your children to wrath when you say, do as I say, but not as I do. By the way, where do most, well, used to be, this isn't true now with cell phones, but before cell phones, where did most teenagers see pornography for the first time? From dad's stash. And we gotta say, it's not say as I, not do as I say, needs to be do as I do. Follow me as I follow Christ. Number four, don't keep your word. Again, not to keep a youth pastor too long. Matt and I could share a lot of stories, I'm sure. But another teenager, dad said, hey, we're going to go camping on Friday. This teenager got so excited, got all his gear together, got down really early Saturday morning, knocked on dad's door, dad, are we ready to go camping? Mom said, oh, son, I'm really sorry. Dad got called into work today. He's not going to be able to take you camping. So he went home, put up all of his stuff back. Dad got home crazy late that night. Made crazy money working overtime. He said, son, I'm so sorry. I got called into work today, but son, next Saturday, next Saturday, I'm going to take you camping. This teenager told me next Saturday, you know, Friday night, he got all his gear together. He's so excited, man. He couldn't wait to go camping with dad. Next Saturday morning, went down, knocked on dad's door. Dad, you ready to go camping? I said, oh, son, I'm really sorry. Dad, dad got called into work today. Said again, dad got home really late at night. This is a true story from a teen in my youth group who was struggling huge. So dad got home that night and said, son, I promise you next Saturday, I'm so sorry I got called in, next Saturday we're gonna go camping. And he said, honestly, that Friday night I wasn't as excited. I still kind of put our stuff together. And, but the next Sunday, Saturday morning, again, I knocked on dad's door and again, I'm so sorry, dad went to work today. Again, dad came home late on the third night and said, son, next Saturday, he said, honestly, next Friday, I didn't even get my stuff together. He said, you know, Pastor Jim, we never went camping. And dads, you frustrate your kids when you make promises that you don't keep. And I know stuff comes up, but if stuff comes up, you gotta make it right. Number five, no time with them. I would encourage every family, eat dinner together, at least do that. And with the TV off, play together, take your day off. Again, there's times where I've been a terrible example of this, but you've got to spend time with your family. And you frustrate kids when you have no time with them. And you get home and your son has the ball and bat and says, hey, dad, can we play? Oh, I'm sorry, I don't have time for that. I promise you, you keep that up, there'll come a day then they don't ask you. You know what happens is a lot of times it's when our kids finally, we finally achieved where we wanted to be financially, we finally have time, but now our kids don't want anything to do with us because we didn't spend any time with them when they were young. And parents, if you could get a hold of this and say, I am gonna frustrate my children when I don't spend time with them. And then showing favoritism, we could take you to Isaac and uh, Rebecca. Showing favoritism causes frustration. If you have a favorite, don't let your kids know. And lastly, as we finish up, let me give you some key thoughts. The goal in parenting is to obey and honor God. A goal, and, and this I hope will help those of you that have an adult child that's struggling. I want to help you understand the difference between a goal and a desire. Think this through with me. A goal is something you're capable of accomplishing, something for which you are responsible 
i.e., teaching and training your children to obey. You can do that. God's asked you to do that. The response to a goal is action. A desire is something you're not capable of achieving and you're not responsible to accomplish. Wanting my child to get saved, that's a desire. Would you agree with me tonight? You can't make your kids get saved. I can't, so that can't be a goal. It's a desire, but it can't be a goal because I can't make that happen. I can't make them love God with all their heart. Would you agree with that? That's a desire. I want my kids to love God with all their heart, but I can't make them do that. That's a desire. And the response to a desire is prayer. So a response to a goal is action. The response to a desire is prayer. And if you have an adult child and you said, man, I brought them to Sunday school. I took them to camp. Uh, I prayed with them. I wasn't perfect, but they've walked away from the Lord. Too many parents take all that guilt on themselves. By the way, there is no perfect parent. But I can't tell you how many parents I've met who have one child who walked away and other children that love the Lord. And they all grew up in the same family, same rules. How does that happen? And I have signed up to be my kid's Holy Spirit so many times. And that's not my role. And if you're here tonight and you have an adult child and they've walked away, it breaks your heart. It crushes your heart. Our oldest daughter isn't where she should be spiritually. And man, I know the pain and the heartache that comes with that. I, and I tried to resign. Thankfully, I hadn't done any homework and my deacon board wouldn't accept my resignation. You read, if you finally, when I started doing my own research and started going to Ezekiel 18, you know, this will no longer be a proverb in Israel. The parents have eaten sour grapes. The children's teeth are set on edge. And it gives you three generations. Generation one does right. Generation two does wrong. Generation three does right. And you know what it says in Ezekiel 18? The soul that sinneth, it shall die. Why? Because you can't make your kids do right. You can influence, but you do not cause that's why, parents, when you have adult children that love God, you should praise God for that because they chose to do the right thing. And, you know, I meet parents who have all their kids who, you know, all became missionaries, <laughs> and they take all the credit, right? And then they go out and tell them, if you just do what I do, then all your kids will turn out right. That's not true because God gave every child a free will, which is kind of a bummer. But he did. He gave our kids a free will. And so we're going to influence, but we're not going to cause. And so let me just say to those parents who have a child that's struggling, pray and hope. The good news in Ezekiel 18, if at any point they come back, all their sin will be forgiven. It's a great promise. And so if you have a struggling child tonight, don't give up. You keep praying for them. Kids that grew up in a pastor's home, she's heard all my sermons. Preaching at her more isn't going to help. I got to love her, right? And we have a great relationship. But she's not where she needs to be yet. And really, only if you've ever had a child like that, would you truly understand? I mean, don't you love coming up to church and the car next to you pulls up with a bumper sticker, my kid is an honor student at Montessori School of Excellence? And you're just thinking, my kid went to school. <laughs> <laughs> like, I don't want to park next to that car. <laughs> the responsibility that God's placed on us as parents demands that we correct our children. To withhold discipline is to sin against God, and it's also to sin against the children that we say we love. Discipline is not hate. Discipline is love, according to Proverbs 13:24. In 1 Samuel 3:13, we think of Eli and his sons. We see the results of parents who allowed their emotions to control them. These were parents who allowed their children to do whatever they want. In fact, the Bible says, because you did not restrain your sons. That's why I'm going to have a problem with you. Balance is needed in the sphere of child discipline. Within many families, there is a dramatic difference in the parenting styles of the father and the mother. Don't nudge each other, raise your hand. But how many of you would say, man, my spouse sees parenting exactly the way I do? I mean, we are just on the same page. We see it exactly the same way. Often in a lot of marriages, they don't. And so you've got to work through that. How do you come up with the right answer? It's right here. Take the time to study what the Bible says. It's full of instruction. There's four basic parenting styles. Number one is neglectful. 
low in love, low in control. This type of parent avoids or flees from their child. Second is permissive, high on love but low in control. This parent allows his children or her children to lead them rather than leading them. They fear their children. Often this fear is one of losing their love. So they let their kids do whatever they want because they're afraid if, if I don't give my kids what they want, they won't love me. By the way, that's not true. I, I rarely got what I wanted as a kid. But I love my parents. Number three is authoritarian. Low in love, but high in control. This parent pushes their child to conform to their military standards with no exceptions and no excuses. This type of parent fights with their child. And this type of parent, they just want to make sure their kids look good rather than the kids are good. There's a big difference. And folks, the goal of parenting is not that your kids look good. The goal of parenting is that they are good. Do you think there's a reason kids are turning 18 and bolting from our churches? Because it was all external. We never got a hold of their heart. Man, you want your kids to grow up and say, man, I love church. I love my parents. I love the people I go to church with. Not, man, I'm just going to look good on the external, but I hate it here. And by the way, if you go to a few church business meetings, you know why some of our young people bolt. And church business meeting is not the place to stop exhibiting the fruit of the Spirit. And we need to treat each other with love and respect. Again, not to harp on the church that we had up in Canada, but you get a whole church of first-generation Christians. They don't know a lot, but they love each other. They care about each other. And they, they, they have each other's back. They help each other out. They may be putting cigarettes out in the parking lot, but they love each other. And they'll figure that out over time. And our, our, our young people, as they grow up in our churches, need to see us model the right thing. But number four, the correct way of parenting is authoritative. High in love, high in control. This parent fellowships with their child. They have a balance between truth and love and between nurture and admonition. If you come back to Ephesians 6, 4 as we wrap this up, bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord. Training means discipline. The Greek word here is translated chastening or chastisement in Hebrews 12. It's training from the outside to the inside. Parents, our children are failing. It's not the ground at the bottom of the slide that waits for them, but it's the descent toward hell. They're falling, and our intuitive reaction ought to be to reach out and catch them, to break their fall, to change their direction. The discipline of the home is that force which can change the direction of a child, or at least retard the breakneck speed with which he or she makes his steady descent. Training a child means they are brought up in an environment of clear rules, the violation of which brings consequences. The consistent application of biblical nurturing in the early years issues, ensures the reception of admonition. Again, I would encourage you parents, don't have 50 rules. Just have a few rules, but be super consistent. And just say, we're not going to have 50 rules, we're going to have five or eight. But these rules, we're going to be really consistent. And if you break these rules, there's consequences. Every time. And when you're disciplining sometimes and not disciplining others. Again, that's going to frustrate your children. It's going to cause them to get angry. You're provoking them to wrath when you're not consistently enforcing the rules. They don't know when is it really going to be a time for consequences. And lastly, the word admonition means instruction. It comes from a Greek word which means to put, on, put or to place in mind. While training trains the will through imposed discipline. Admonition trains the mind and heart through acquired truth. Take your Bible to Deuteronomy 6 as we close. Deuteronomy 6, verse 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Thou shalt love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. And these words which I command you today shall be in your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. You shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk in the way, when you lie down, when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign in your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Parents, do you talk spiritual things with your kids? 
The Bible is very clear. We need to teach them diligently. That's the idea here between admonition. Go after their heart. And again, it's just the youth pastor and me. I'd see teenagers that get saved at camp. They're so excited. They go home and they go, Mom and Dad, I got saved at camp. And I had parents go, No, you didn't. You got saved when you were four. And if you're a parent that's done that, I'm just going to ask you, would you think that through? Does it matter if it was four or when they think they got saved right now? Can we just be excited that they got saved? And, and I think that when we, when we try and control our kids and we're not getting after their heart, they may look great on the outside, but you need to, you need to build a relationship where they can tell you when they're struggling with pornography because most of them are going to. And I, I speak to a lot of teenagers and I tell our teenagers, listen, your parents are not going to kill you. But you know, that's what a lot of teenagers think. Because parents haven't built a relationship with kids where it's, hey, if you're struggling, talk to me about these things. You know what a lot of teenagers think? If my parents find out, they'll kill me. And I say this to teenagers all the time. I don't know any dead teenagers yet. In fact, I can remember one camp, I was out in California, and at the Friday night end of camp, this teen girl came up and said, I just want to go on the record, I know you said you don't know any dead teenagers yet, I just want you to know I'm going to be the first one. My parents are going to kill me. And then she teared up and said, but I'm going to tell them. Because I do believe if you want a victory over pornography, you've got to have help. You can't do that on your own. And every year at, at, at a Christian college, it's probably the number one issue we deal with. And I tell you, it's great to deal with it, 18 to 22. I mean, don't get married. Don't get into ministry with pornography. Let's take care of that now. But you know what? It's even better when it happens before 18 in the home. Our mom and dad have gone after the heart and said, listen, you can tell us these things. We're not going to lose our mind. We understand. By the way, if you don't understand this, pornography is such a common problem today. It's like the common cold and the common flu. Those are equally bad, right? It's not good to have the flu. It's not good to have a cold. But it's a common problem. Your, your kid isn't twisted. Your kid isn't warped. It's just way too accessible. Who do parents talk to today when you have a technology issue? When you can't make your remote on whatever work, who do you call for help? Kids. <laughs> so how are you really going to protect them, right? You got to get after their heart, parents. You got to get after their heart. You got to let them know, hey, home is a safe place, to be honest. And there's going to be consequences, but it doesn't mean I don't love you anymore. There's going to be consequences, but it doesn't mean I think you're, you're twisted or warped. Hey, you know what, son? You know what, daughter, teenager? This is a common problem. I'm so proud of you for talking to me about this. I want to bring you up in admonition. I want to come alongside of you and give you grace. By the way, Parents, when you sin and get things right with God, aren't you glad he's gracious with you? You realize that every time you confess your sin to God, God never goes, what? What did you just do? I can't believe it. If anyone can believe it, it's God. <laughs> it's like, yeah, I'm, I'm not too surprised. But I'm really happy we're talking about it. Because I want to come alongside of you and help you have a victory. You know what a lot of young people, they think, you know, if you ask a teenager, can you quit doing drugs? Teens will say, yes, I believe you can quit doing drugs. Can you quit drinking alcohol, stop being a drunk? Teen, yes, I believe you can do that. Can you quit smoking? Yes, I believe you can do that. Can you quit pornography? Most teenagers say, I'm not so sure. Why? Because it's the one they've tried to quit and they haven't been able to quit. But as you sit here tonight, can a teenager quit looking at pornography and never look at it again? Is that possible? But if you remember two mornings ago as Pastor Stephen talked about our great God, you're going to need a great God, right? But the God who can do all of that can give you a victory. And parents, we need to get engaged in our kids' lives. We need to talk to them about those kinds of things. That's what admonition is. It's coming alongside and getting their heart and saying, man, I, I really care about you, I love you, and I want your heart. And that's going to take time. That's going to take some time of your day off. It's going to take some nights. And when you have teenagers, we've had three of them. They never wanted to talk to me in the morning. Have you ever noticed that? 
They usually knock on our door at 10 o'clock at night. Can we talk? I'll be honest, sometimes I'm like, now? <laughs> My wife is way better at this than I was. It's always yes with her. Yeah, you want to talk? Let's talk. And you might go to bed tired, but what a difference you've made in your teenager's life. Admonition takes time. You teach your children to obey, and you bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. And you don't make them angry by any of those things I mentioned. And I hope you had a Bible tonight. I hope you walk away and go, boy, that is what God says. If you want to see if you've taught your children to obey, just give them a command this week. By the way, don't judge each other. <laughs> but just test it. Just give your kid a command. Do they obey? If they don't, you've got some work to do. That's okay. You, you're, they're still in your home. You have time to work on it. Teens, if you're here tonight, I hope that you would take this challenge. This is the commandment with a promise. If you want things to go well with you, you need to honor your father and mother, especially during your teenage years. And I know a lot of teenagers who really wrestle with this. And teens, I just promise you, it'll shock you how much smarter your parents get in the next 10 years. Someone said, if I had to guess when the devil went against the Lord, it was probably 15. <laughs> and I would just encourage you tonight, teenagers, your mom and dad love you. And I know you don't always understand that. You're not always going to understand why they put certain rules in your life, but it's really because they love you. They're not staying up at night thinking, how can I wreck their life? They're sitting here tonight saying, man, I remember when that teenager gave a first squeak in this world and it melted my heart. And I love that child as much today as I did then. And teenagers, if you want things to be well with you, honor your father and your mother. And parents, let's teach our children to obey and bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, I thank you for the opportunity to come to a family camp. Thank you for a time to spend with our families. Lord, what a blessing it's been to see so many children running around in a safe place with godly college students who love to teach them while we're in here. Uh, Willie, who's pouring his life into teenagers. Uh, Matt, uh, who's pouring his life into their teenagers. And God, uh, food that's prepared for us. Lord, we could go on and on of all the blessings of bringing our family to a safe place. Lord, so many families that are here with their brothers and sisters and uh, in-laws and uh, God, just a blessing to just be with family. And God, I pray that as we enjoy this time with family, help us to walk away committed to being the family that you've asked us to be in scripture. Help us to take the time to study the scripture while our kids are at home so that we can know what we should and should not be doing and our effort to raise our families the right way. We thank you for your word. We thank you for your love for us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.